on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. Kyle, it's episode 174. Also, we're into the playoffs. We're post-week 18, wildcard weekend coming up. So we got a lot to talk about. Um, we didn't forget about college either. It, it, it's going to be an action-packed episode. Yeah, definitely a lot of stuff to go over this week. Our normal top fives in the AFC, NFC, and the MVP rankings. I don't think this MVP rankings aren't going to change too much from last week because everything kind of felt like it was set in stone and all the top guys are resting or already kind of secured their spot in the MVP race. Uh, we'll go over the good high, good fires and the bad fires that we saw over the three coaches that did end up getting fired from Monday morning or I guess Sunday night with Arthur Smith, but uh, the other two guys over these past two days and wrote Ron and Mike Vrabel talk about if anybody else should be fired. Uh, obviously there's the stuff with Bill Belichick and he's not going to get fired, but they might part ways. We'll see how that Something goes. May maybe yeah. if there's uh, anybody else in that uh, and then we'll be doing breakdowns and predictions for each of the games and super wild card weekend that will span from Saturday to Monday night. So that'll be fun there. We'll be able to get started with the opener. Together, why don't you tell me what's the best thing that you saw over this past week? So I'm going to go with an NBA trade that actually happened about nine days ago, but we're finally seeing it play out. So I'm going to count it because this trade between the Knicks and the Raptors Basically, it's OG Ananobi and Precious Achua going to the Knicks for RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly and some other stuff. And so far, man, we'll start off with OG Ananobi. 15 points per game, two steals a game. He's fit right in there in New York perfectly. Four wins in a row. Uh, They needed some value at the wings. They had too many shot creators, and they're trying to become a real contender. And already today, he's popping off uh, early in the Knicks game. Uh, Toronto more worse off than the Knicks. They're not really looking to be a contender, just looking for those shot creators, which the Knicks had. Uh, But they're three and one since the trade. Emmanuel quickly had a couple of big games. And then RJ Barrett, of course, with 37 against the Warriors was big. And it's just the ideal NBA trade right here. Both teams get what they need and they're both improving already. It's great to see. Yeah. felt like it was one of the first like big trades in the NBA that didn't include James Harden in the last like three <laughs> years at this point, but good trade there. Obviously RJ killed the Warriors a couple days ago, having 37 on us and it's been a rough season for the dubs, but RJ is doing well back in his home country. That's for sure. For my opener, I'm taking it back to football and I'm talking about the Raiders and their eighth straight victory over the Denver Broncos. That's four years in a row that we swept them it just feels nice to be the team that you know you can beat. We've done it eight times in a row now at this point. And I know sure kind of screwed over our draft stock a little bit. I think we could have had like pick eight or nine if we lost mm-hmm. this game and had a couple different things go our way. But we ended up with pick 13. But I want to get into this game a little bit and, and some of the performances on the Raiders side. Starting off Aiden O'Connell, four games in a row now to end the season without a pick. In this game, he had 244, two touchdowns, obviously no interceptions on 20 for 31. He looks solid again, and I think, or I know, I hope I know 
that Champ Kelly and Antonio Pierce, if they do end up staying as the Raiders, you know, head coach and GM, that they know that this isn't going to be the guy. But it's good to know that we might have a good backup on our hands. And if, say, you know, we draft a QB this next year and he gets hurt or doesn't play well right away, we have a guy that we can go to if need be. Okay, no problem. It also feels good to know that we have a running back that is a lot cheaper than Josh Jacobs. And as much as I love Josh Jacobs, we're not going to give him 12 to $13 million next year. That's just not going to happen, especially when Zemir White has played the way that he has to end the season. Three straight games, over 100 yards. He was just been a better rusher than what Jacobs was this year. It's plain and simple as that. I didn't think we'd get to see it from Zemir after how he had what he was like with the ball in his hands last year and the start of this year, but he's been really good these last four games, and I've been happy to see that he's been turning up. And then on the receiving side, Trey Tucker, I believe his five catches is the most that he had the entire season. He had 79 yards with a long play of 47, so it's good to see him getting involved. It's good to see Jacoby Myers have two touchdowns, uh, one rushing, one receiving. That made it four touchdowns for him against the Broncos this year. Devontae got a touchdown, and then the defensive side of the ball, but on the clinic, again, something that's been, oddly enough, the most consistent thing for the Raiders this year is their defense. We had five sacks. Isaiah Palomau, the Madden legend, got a sack. Max Crosby, Malcolm Kuntz, Adam Butler, and Tyree Wilson all got to the quarterback. And then Trayvon Merrick got a pick to end off the season as well, too. His third of the year, all in part of a 27-14 victory over the Denver Broncos. Very nice. We'll go ahead and move on. Where's your head at? Starting off with their AFC top five power rankings. Pittsburgh finished really strong, man. Got to give them a shout out. I guess if I were to say one, I'd say Miami would be the team I should talk, probably talk about. They didn't make my list. They really haven't had too many impressive wins this entire year, especially with some of the other teams on this list having some good wins. So I kept Miami just off in the sixth spot. Who's at number five? I do have Miami in there. They're dropping down two spots. Um, and this is really the only massive movement I have this week because they, they're destroyed. So many injuries. Uh, they're probably not going to be very competitive in this game unless you get a heroic performance from from Tua, Mostert, Tyreek. It's just a sad way to end off the season, but we were kind of expecting this, especially in uh, some cold-weather games. Yeah. Number five for me is going to be where I put the Houston Texans. Back-to-back wins to end off the season. It's good to see C.J. Stroud back and healthy. I know the Titans game, he was healthy too, but it just didn't. We didn't really have to see him do anything because they were up the whole time. The game against the Colts, he played solid, made some big throws, found Nico Collins a ton of times. Their defense played well. And they're going into a Browns matchup at home against a quarterback in Joe Flacco that's known to make mistakes, and it's an opportunity for a victory. Uh, I like what the Texans are doing. I, I don't think there's anybody in the NFL that's not rooting against them. Uh, that doesn't, you know, see what they're doing and be like, hey, that's actually pretty damn cool. I got Kansas City, 11-6, and six, um, but it wasn't as pretty as it sounds this season. They uh, just rested last week. They were locked in their spot, and uh, we'll talk about their game later. Yeah. 
Uh, like you said, we'll get into the game later, but Kansas City is my number four spot as well, too. Who cares about the Chargers game? They rested all their guys, and they won by one point. So, Good on Kansas City. Uh, definitely helps them, though, that they're going to be playing in the weather that they're playing in in the wild card round against the Dolphins. Number three. Cleveland, also 11-6. and six. I trust them a little bit more. They've been hotter for a longer amount of time. Maybe it'll wear off with Flacco in the playoffs, but also maybe not. We've seen this before. Yeah. My number three seed is also Cleveland. The highest wild card sitting at 11-6, like you said. Game against Cincinnati, who cares? They didn't play anybody, so that's not affecting my stock for them. Buffalo sticking at number two. They did it. They won the division. Also getting that two seed in the playoffs. And uh, they completely flipped the switch, firing Ken Dorsey. Great job, Joe Brady. Yeah, Buffalo's my two spot as well, too. Five wins in a row to end off the season. They were all needed in order to win the division like we saw. Right now, man, this is the best that we've seen them in the entire season. And usually we have that super hot stretch by Buffalo at the start of the year. It's cool to see him get that at the end of the year, carrying that into the playoffs started off with their first game against the Steelers. Yeah. And then number one. That's Baltimore. Um, they got the MVP. They destroyed San Francisco in the uh, regular season bowl. And we'll hear from them in a week from now. Yeah. Baltimore obviously one. We'll see you in the divisional round. Yeah. NFC side, Skyler. You have an honorable mention. I have, a, I have an interesting one here. I I took Green Bay off. My honorable mention, Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> I kept them off my top five. Everything looks, looks dysfunctional from them right now. I'll talk more about how that, that'll play into their game against Tampa once we get there, but this team does not look good right now. The vibes aren't right. And honestly, just based off of vibes alone, you can kind of tell how a team's going to do it in the playoffs and kind of what their mentality is and their mentality right now is, oh, shit, how the fuck do we fix this within, you know, six or seven days in order to to actually not get kicked out in the first round against Tampa? Who's your number five, Dan? Yeah, so it is Philly dropping down to the five spot. Um, I just couldn't take them off the top five because they're so talented. It just makes you wonder how it could get this bad with all of those veterans in the locker room coaches and players who've been there and done that before. Um, but luckily for them, they just got to win one game at a time. They're still alive. Yeah. My number five spot is going to be Green Bay. They stuck into the playoffs with their win against the Bears. Jordan Love has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC this year, without a doubt. And they're in. That's all that matters. I like what they've been doing. They've been playing good defense as well, too. So Green Bay is at the five for me. Number four. Number four, we got the Rams jumping up a spot. I assume you did the same, uh, not because they beat the Niners with the backups, just because that offense has been so consistent this year. Uh, Kyron Williams is a monster, and you would imagine they could keep up with Detroit's similar system in the playoff game. Yeah. Even though they didn't play the starters, still seven out of eight to end the season is pretty remarkable for where they were in the first eight weeks of the season. I got the Rams in the fourth spot as well, too. 
Number three. I'm keeping Detroit here at the three spot. I uh, understand the controversy with this pick, but I'd much rather face Detroit than Dallas, especially in the first round of the playoffs. Maybe when we get deeper in, um, things could change. I still think Detroit is a great team, a scary team, but they're at three for me in the power rankings. I put Dallas at my three spot. Same thing I did last week. Did what they needed to do against the commanders. Brandon Aubrey got his misses out one blocked and one short field goal miss. I think it was like 36, 38 yards, whatever it was, but hopefully doesn't miss in playoffs for the Cowboys sake, because that would be hilarious to see a kicker go 35 for 35 and then miss their way through the playoffs. Like they did. Damn near what happened with Brett Maher last year, too. Moving on to the MP spot. So Dallas has a path, and I understand Detroit plays in a dome, too, but I, I like the path that Dallas has to play in warm weather every single playoff game if they keep advancing. That's a big reason why. And I trust Dak a little more than Jared Goff. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I still have the Lions at two, though. Game against the Vikings, they did what they needed to do. It wasn't as scary as some of the games that have been for them this year, uh, whether it was against the Bears or the Vikings earlier in the season. But Vikings go into the playoffs at 12-5, and and they host Matthew Stafford. How crazy is that? They're number one spot. San Francisco gets the bye, and they really needed this one because they were starting to fall apart, especially injury-wise at the end. Um, So... Hopefully that will keep them competitive and we won't have some random NFC blowout playoff games like we usually do every year. Yeah. We'll see SF in the divisional round. We'll go for one. Moving on to our MVP, our last MVP power rankings of the season, of course. I don't have anybody. Well, I have a whole bunch of people but in the five spot, but I don't have anybody outside the top five. It's the same for me as it has been the past couple of weeks. I got all those other quarterbacks who aren't going to win in the honorable mentions. Yeah. My five spots, I did five quarterbacks last week in the five spot. I did five quarterbacks this week. Uh, four of them remain the same. Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, Josh Allen. I took out Tua and I put in Jordan Love. Here's your yeah. five. All right. Uh, TJ Watt stays at the five. Uh, it, it really sucks that he got hurt. He's going to miss this playoff game. Um, we'll get more into if it's even possible to see him in, in the next round uh, with their current situation. But just a, a complete Iron Man, and it's it sucks to see him go out like this on the season. Yeah, he led the league in sacks, and he was awesome. My number four. It's the same duo I had last week: uh, Raheem Mostert and Kyron Williams. Kyron only played 12 games or whatever it was this season and still was second in rushing. And they damn near won every single time that he was out there. And then Mostert, I mean, they lost without him. So it helps his case, I guess, technically. Raheem Mostert obviously got in the end zone over 20 times a season. How can he not put him somewhere on this list? Here's your four. I finally did it. I'm combining Tyreek with Mostert. They both make the list. Um you know, especially having to face them twice a year, you start to realize, yeah, even though I hate these guys, they have been completely unstoppable all season long. My number three is going to be the NFL sack leader in 2023 slash 2024. Uh, TJ Watt 
finishes the year on 19 sacks. I know he got hurt to end the season as well, too, which absolutely sucks. Like you said, we're not going to get to see him in the playoffs unless Mason Rudolph pulls off something ridiculous. But uh, great year for TJ Watt, and I'm just happy to see that it's not a torn ACL from mm. what I originally thought it was in the first few minutes of his injury happening. Yeah. Who's your three? Number three, CMC. Uh, obviously didn't play last week, so not much to talk about here, but Marshall Falk type season, man. Only him and Brees Hall, well, Brees Hall sorry, uh, were that effective in the, the run game and the pass game for running backs. Had to shout out my guy. CMC is my number two. Uh, I don't really much to say because I've said everything these yeah. past, you know, 16 weeks and he didn't play this past week, so. CMC is in my two spot. Yeah, my two is staying Dak Prescott. Um, maybe it's because he's a quarterback. I, I give him the edge, but the amount of things he's done for this team, especially at the line with you know the play clock ticking down three, two, one, making sure everyone's in the right spot. Not a lot of guys have done that this year, even Mahomes. Yeah. And then the 2023, 2024 NFL MVP. Yeah. Unanimous now at this point, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talked about him early in the year, how efficient he was, uh, some Steve Young comparisons, and he basically kept that going all the way through the end, and no one else could. So, yeah. Congrats. Yeah, Lamar was cooking. Mm-hmm. Moving on to good fire, bad fire. We got three coaches, like I said earlier, that got fired this past few days starting off with arthur smith this one seems pretty obvious so i'll also ask the question good yeah. fire or bad fire for arthur smith in atlanta this was a good fire there's so many elite pieces on this offense you can't waste that on the current quarterback head coach combination especially with a wide open division uh, for at least another year or two depending on if carolina can get it together if you're drafting a quarterback you want ben johnson everyone's going after him the lions oc you give him whatever he asks for Although, if you're going the veteran quarterback route, like Russell Wilson, even a Justin Fields would be interested in going there if they drafted Caleb Williams. Uh, you could get a Dan Quinn or an Aaron Glenn and feel okay about it because of the respect they have across the league. It's your your Robert Sala hire. You don't know if he's got all the X's and O's that Shanahan did because you know it's a different side of the ball, but he can be the CEO of your team. Yeah. I definitely think it's a good fire. Three straight seasons at seven and ten with the players that you have is is pretty ridiculous. They're in the last three years, uh, as far as offensive skill position players go that aren't quarterbacks. The Atlanta Falcons were the first team to take one of those players. They took Bijan in twenty twenty three, Drake Lund twenty twenty two, and Kyle Pitts in twenty twenty one. Of course, and we know those guys are studs. And I know there's been these things over the past few years of Kyle Pitts where it's, oh, he has shitty games. But, I mean, this dude's a ridiculous freak, freak human being that is gonna should be schemed around on your offensive side of the ball. And, and you have Drake London, who's had some massive games, just hasn't really seen the plays go his way. And then Sean Robinson, you already know it with, with Arthur Smith and how he, he got treated under that regime. So... I think you got to find some offensive offensive dude that knows how to get his stars the ball, and uh, 
think Atlanta would be a solid team, honestly, in a division that you don't need much more than above average. So. Good fire. Hopefully we'll make the right hire and don't ruin those three guys' career. Yeah. Next up, Riverboat Ron. Ron Rivera from the Commanders, 4-13 and 13 this season. Good fire or bad fire? I'm going to say this one was also a good fire. Uh, it was just time. It would have been sooner if they didn't sneak into the playoffs a couple times there. And, you know, Snyder was forced to sell a little earlier. I'm sure they start the whole rebuild thing a couple years ago. My first reaction is you got to try to get Bill Belichick, I think. But if we're being realistic, Washington's got to get Bobby Slowick back in the building, the Houston offensive coordinator from the Shanahan tree. You got to get someone who can help Drake May, who's probably the guy they're going to take it to, like he helped out CJ Stroud so much this year. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good fire. Like you said, it was kind of just time for Ron Rivera. He's had this roster, and I know there's not much on it, but he just thing and they haven't been exciting to the point where it's like oh well maybe there'll be something next year they've always just kind of been meh um, and that's what we got from the Washington Commanders but I will say if you are you know a head coach candidate looking for this job it is one of the most do it your way mm-hmm. type jobs because there isn't really anything set in stone Tara McLaurin probably the best player on the team you can him if he wanted to like he he's very expendable the quarterback position is definitely going to be movable or, or whatever you want to adjustable to what you want to do the defense is adjustable you're going to have money to spend it's obviously not going to be you know one year flip it around and you know this team makes the playoffs next yeah. year especially with some of the teams in that division specifically but the commanders they they have somebody come in there and just try to do everything and I know bringing in Bob Myers and, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of high profile ownership that they have now at this point will point to a guy like Belichick or trying to go after a guy like Harbaugh or some high profile name. I just don't know if they'll be able to get it, man. Mm-hmm. But props to them for finally doing what needs to be done. And lastly, one that happened today, Mike Vrabel gets fired from the, the Tennessee Titans after a 6-11 uh, and 11 season. Skyler, what do you think about this one? Hell no. They're going to regret this one immediately. Uh, I mean, just the stuff coming out of the building today is outrageous. That they could have traded him. They definitely could have gotten something good. If Sean Payton goes for a second-round pick and he hadn't coached in five years, I mean, what could have Mike Vrabel, a former coach of the year, who's still actively winning games they shouldn't in Tennessee. But it's time for a rebuild, and you don't want to be stuck in purgatory. So that's what I imagine what happened here. I was kind of shocked that you weren't shocked about it based on how Derrick Henry was acting, some of the stuff after the game. I was thinking maybe this is bigger than we think in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously bad fire. I'll, I'll start off with saying yeah. that. Vrabel is one of the biggest culture head coaches in the NFL that we've seen. And one of the biggest success stories uh, of a culture head coach and the way that he just, you know, the guys in Tennessee are going to be fighting every, every single week. And I know their team hasn't been good these past few years, but that's never been Vrabel's problem. You look at the offense that he's had and Derrick Henry, I know he was healthy all this year, but he was hurt last year and 
They didn't have wide receivers to throw to. They bring in a, a DeAndre Hopkins who did reach a thousand yards, but isn't some you know crazy top two, three, five wide receiver at this point in his career. You don't have the quarterback at this point. I know Levis was good and Tannehill's had his moments, but they're not there yet at this point. But I guess I just wanted to go in a different direction. We we could see the mm-hmm. Titans completely spiral out of this and you know turn into something terrible. Or we can see it work for them. Uh, I don't think it does because this, this is usually one of those things that doesn't work out. But, I mean, hell, I, I thought when the Warriors fired Mark Jackson, that was a terrible thing to do. Obviously, yeah. the roster is a completely different scenario. They don't have a Stephen Curry or, you know, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green on their roster. But yeah, they traded him for the Eagles. Sometimes <laughs> things got to be done to get you over the hump. But If Will Levis I is listening – uh, my number one guest would be Raheem Morris, Rams, D.C. They work together with uh, Rand Carthen, the GM of the Titans right now, in L.A. and Atlanta. Just wanted to, if Will Levis is listening. Oh, yeah. Will Levis <laughs> is definitely listening to our podcast. Hello, Will. Uh, I wanted you to be a Raider, but I digress. Moving on to should anyone else be fired, Skyler? What do you think? Yeah, I got a couple guys on my list. We'll start with Bill Belichick. Uh, I think mostly they should not, like you said, it's it won't be a firing. They're going to build a statue of this dude as soon as he leaves. But uh, agree to part ways, mostly because of the roster moves. You know, you probably can't fire him just from his head coach work. He's he's had a really shitty squad these past couple of years. But it's like in Bill O'Brien in Houston. He was very respected as, as the head coach across the league until he became the GM, and that's why they fired him, even though he went to the playoffs a couple of times. And uh, they turned things around pretty quickly. I think the obvious choice here would be Mike Brable, but we all know crazier things have happened. It's not 100% locked in, but that would that would be the guy, the ideal guy. Yeah. I, I do think the only guy that is going to leave from now on at this point is going to be uh, Bill Belichick, like you said. Obviously, it's not going to be the firing. There's going to be the, the parted ways, mutually parted ways, or traded, or whatever it ends up being, but he's not going to be explicitly fired. Like you said, the roster's been pretty damn awful these last few years to the point where he didn't, he didn't have really jack shit to work with, so you expect a bad record from him and his team, but it's time for Bill to, to move on to whether it's retirement or to another team. He's been there for too long. I do have one more uh, to shout out here just to talk about Pete Carroll. Another guy, he obviously won't be fired for his performance. He just won nine games with a really average team. That's nothing to slouch at. But this is another team that needs a fresh start. Um, if they wanted to go into a rebuild these next two years, Someone like Kellen Moore would 100% be on board. Yeah. I do think Pete Carroll said that he plans on being back next year. I don't think – I forget what it was exactly, but uh, from something that he said, it was considered that he has intentions on coming back for – I think it's his age, like 73 season or whatever. But shout out Pete, man. With that being said, though, uh, we'll move on from our coaches firing and talk about some good teams right now that made the playoffs and all the games in Super Wildcard Weekend. We have six of them. We'll start off with the first game 
on Saturday on NBC, the Browns, the highest wild card in the AFC moving, or going to Houston, playing Energy Stadium against the Texans. Same spot the Natty was at last night. Cleveland comes in at a two and a half point favorite. Good. What do you think about this game? And who do you think comes out as the winner? I think Cleveland's playing their best ball right now with a lot of guys who've been there before, unlike Houston. Although Houston's just as talented, I'm going to take Cleveland in a close game. The Houston offense hasn't looked the same since they got the injury bug, but they're going to be back next year. Don't worry about it. I'm just taking Cleveland. I trust the defense a little more. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of the few games where I am really okay with both teams winning. I would love to see you know Cinderella CJ Stroud story, and I'd love to see a Cinderella Joe Flacco story because that'd be absolutely amazing to watch. But it's going to be tough for Stroud. He obviously doesn't have Tank Dell anymore. He's going up against one of the best defenses in the league. It does help that you know you're in your own stadium, you're not going to be playing in the elements, so you don't have to worry about those external factors. But Cleveland's going to make it tough for Stroud and. When you see a young quarterback go against a really good defense, especially in the playoffs, usually doesn't go that well unless they're, you know, chosen one or whatever it is. So I am going to pick the Browns after the Texans victory. Next up, uh, Saturday night game on Peacock. The Dolphins going to the Chiefs. Uh, Four-point favorite for Kansas City right now. But the biggest story in this game is the weather so far. Uh, currently, according to ESPN, it's going to be two degrees at kickoff. Uh, obviously going to go colder than that as the night goes on. But what do you think about this game? Uh, Miami playing in negative degree football. Well, negative degree weather. Jeez. First of all, Miami's been destroyed by injuries. Jalen Phillips, we saw on Thursday night a couple weeks ago, out for the year. Chubb out for the year. Van Ginkle's out. That's already tough. Um Mahomes at home is scary, even during an underwhelming season. I think Kansas City wins big. We've talked about it all year long. Miami is is just not built for this kind of game. They they got a shitty draw, but that's on them for losing to Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, they lost three out of their last five. So yeah. what can you do at that point? I think this game is pretty easy to pick. I think Kansas City comes away with the victory in this one. It's just... It's, it's a recipe for Miami to just get dominated on both sides of the ball. Like you said, the injuries for Miami's defense specifically, and it's not going to be able to move the ball that well with how good Kansas City's defense has been, specifically Legereus Need and going up against Tyreek Hill. And they're just not going to have the ability to do much uh, with, with how he's been playing recently. And I think Kansas City obviously has been here a ton of times before. I don't think they're going to you know, put up 45 points or whatever Kansas City does. I, I think it's probably like a 20 to 11 game or whatever, but I think Kansas City, Kansas City comes out in this game pretty easy with the W. Mm-hmm. Next up, the worst game of the playoffs. The Steelers going to Buffalo to face the Bills. This one's on Sunday morning on CBS. Buffalo is a 10-point favorite in this one. Yeah, great finish by Pittsburgh, like we were talking about with my honorable mention. Uh, The thing is, if everyone knew that 
Rudolph was the best quarterback on the roster, like they have all been saying these past couple weeks. Why did they wait so long to play him? Maybe if we had a full Rudolph season where he won 10 games, I'd be more confident that they'd be able to compete. But Buffalo's been rolling with Joe Brady calling the plays. Pittsburgh's not going to be able to keep up. Minus 10 may be harsh, but they're playing in Buffalo. It's a tough place to play. Yeah. This game also has the weather impact as well, I believe. Uh, according to ESPN, it's going to be raining when the game, or I guess maybe snowing because it's 24 degrees, but Buffalo's going to murder the Steelers. I don't think there's any chance the Steelers' offense is going to you know, put up 20 to 25 points, which is probably going to be where you're going to need to win this game, uh, considering how good the Bills have been recently. Good matchup for Josh Allen. This is exactly who you want to play in week one uh, of the playoffs when you're trying to keep keep rolling. And they got the face of the worst team in the playoffs. So I think the Bills move on, and I think they win that game by quite a bit. Next up, 230 touchdown quarterbacks. Uh, Jordan Love and Dak Prescott go at it in the Packers-Cowboys game. At 1.30 on Sunday, obviously that game is in Dallas. Dallas is a 7.5-point favorite. This is an over-under 50.5, the second highest of any game in Super Wild Card Weekend. How do you think this one plays out, Scott? It's a similar story here with Green Bay. In- inconsistency all season long, but they finished on a great note with Jordan Love and all the rookies. However, Dallas is billed for the first round. They're going to torch the questionable Green Bay secondary and probably put up the most points of the week. I think this game is going to be awesome. Uh, It's two quarterbacks who have had a lot of great moments this season. They've had some bad moments, of course, but these are two guys that I want to sling it, and I'm so happy this game isn't going to be affected by the elements or anything like that. that. We're going to see... Defenses who are both kind of battered, honestly, with the Cowboys and the Packers, but it's, it's it's impossible to not pick Dallas in this game. It's like you said, they're built for the wild card weekend and to beat whatever you know, nine and eight playoff team comes in each year into Dallas or wherever they go as the five seed, like it was last year against Tampa, but. I'm picking the Cowboys in this one, but I do think it's probably a good game. Maybe bold prediction that I'm not putting down officially is both teams score with the week. So Okay. Next up, Sunday night football. This one's probably gonna be the most watched game of the weekend. The Rams going into Detroit's Matthew Stafford revenge game, reunion game, whatever you want to call it. Uh, in Detroit, the Rams versus the Lions. Detroit's a three-point favorite. What do you think about this one? Should be a really fun one. Uh, another possible game where both teams go over 30. I have Detroit winning by a field goal in a high-scoring game. Here's the thing I want to talk about. Both kickers are new to the team within the past four weeks or so. They both missed extra points last week. I may be reading too deep into this one, but I think the Rams lose because Brett Maher misses a couple kicks. That's a crazy prediction, but uh, I'm going the Lions now. I, I know the Rams have been good, and I've been on the Rams the entire year as a team to watch out for in the regular season and in the playoffs, but that atmosphere is going to be 
ridiculous at Ford Field on Sunday night. ESPN allows you to look at the you know lowest ticket prices available for each game. Most of the games, it's like 100 120 Cheapest ticket for that Lions game is $396. It's the only people that are going to be there are going to be motherfuckers who want to be there on Sunday night. We're not going to see some, you know, 20-year-old college girls at the game <laughs> just going out and taking Instagram photos. We're going to see diehard fucking Lions fans at this game. It's going to be ridiculously loud. One of the best atmospheres that we're going to see in the NFL in a long time. So, I think the Lions are going to play off of that. And honestly, fucking Stafford probably will too. It's going to be a great game. But I got the Lions coming out on top on that one. And then the last game of Super Wild Card Weekend, Monday night on ESPN. I believe this is the third year that they're doing the Monday night football game. We had the Eagles and the Bucks. Last year, the Bucks played in this game and they got killed. Yeah. This year, they're playing this game. And they're playing the Eagles who have not gone in hot in this one uh eagles are currently three-point favorites so over under is at 43 and a half how do we think this one plays out philly's making it really tough to pick them uh tampa bay's another one of those underrated playoff atmospheres we've seen on their two biggest runs of their history they've gotten it done because they played a lot of games at home um but i think you gotta go with the five here in philly the Possible rain helps out Philly, of course. A down year from Philly doesn't necessarily mean the first-round exit's going to happen. Uh, Tampa Bay should be in this game, though. I, it's, it's which struggling secondary is going to figure it out and get that game-winning PDU or pick at the end of the game because I'm predicting like a 13-10 to 10 if it's pouring rain. Yeah. No, this game is going to be low-scoring, in my opinion, too. It's The rain is going to completely change this one. I think... It kind of fucks up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because that's just just not how they play. And I know Rashad Dwight has been a better runner than he was last year, but it's just, it's so hard to pick when the game is literally begging you to pick Philly. And so, man, uh, even though the last four or five weeks I, I bet on Philly, they lose. I bet on Philly, they lose. I'm betting on Philly again on this one, and I think they come out with victory. Like you said, the low scoring game. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for our super wild card round picks. Let's go ahead and move on to the second half with some college football. Yeah, national championship game last night. Congratulations to Michigan, thirty-four to thirteen. Big dub over the Washington Huskies. Um, I didn't get to watch this entire game because I was working, but. I saw enough to understand what was happening. That Michigan D line was just causing so much havoc. Michael Penix and crew couldn't get it done. Lots of missed opportunities. The deep balls they did connect on had either a holding or uh, just a misfire from Penix. And uh, JJ McCarthy didn't have to do much, but they got the job done pounding the rock, man. I know you were watching with some guys. What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean... Michigan averaged 19 yards per carry in the first quarter. And that's really all they needed to win that game where you kind of knew it was going to be if Michigan defense holds early, it was going to be really tough for Michigan to do or for Washington to do anything late. And that's exactly how it was. I didn't think it'd be as easy for Michigan on the ground early in the game. Uh, I thought it'd be a bit more how it was in, in the third and fourth quarter, but I'm not shocked with how it went. 
Well, yeah, congrats to Alex. They did it. Um, now Harbaugh can leave on a good note instead of, uh, you know, what if kind of note, because I think he's probably leaving if he gets suspended he did, for the whole year. Yeah. He did say that uh, he's moving back spring practices in a little bit. So I don't know if he was just saying that with Michigan football on his mind, just, you know, riding the high or yeah. maybe that's maybe what he's actually thinking hundred percent, but if he moves, uh, moved back, that means he's fucking staying, right? So I guess so. It's going to be cool. All right. The next thing in halftime here, speaking of college football, we're officially in draft season, Kyle. So I got a little bit of a top. I went up to 13 in my, my quick mock draft today with trades. So let's just, let's just get into it, man. Number one, the Bears. I have them sticking again. Just taking Caleb Williams. I think restarting that quarterback contract is a really big deal. We saw Philly do it with Hurts in the second round, not even with a what we thought was a generational talent, and it completely rebuilt that offense. Uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be really hard for them to pass on Caleb. Um, next pick, though, Washington. Like we were talking about, I think if you're staying still at number two, the pick is going to be Drake May. New brain, No-brainer. New regime means new quarterback, most likely. Um, at number three, I have the Patriots actually getting Justin Fields in a trade. So at number three, the Patriots are going to take Marvin Harrison Jr. They're more likely to have that established quarterback, especially if Rabel takes over. They're going to want to get it rolling. So I, I feel like Justin Fields is a good fit for them. Um, and we'll get more into the quarterback situations after uh, a couple more picks here because at number four, the Cardinals are pissed that Marvin Harrison's gone. But after they take Olufashanu, Left tackle, Penn State, they're going to feel a little better. You got Paris Johnson locked in at the right tackle, Fashanu at the left. You can't go wrong with that with Kyler Murray, who's been hurt. At number five, the Chargers, another team with a whole new regime. We don't know what's going to happen, so I'm just going to take Malik Neighbors. In my opinion, that's the best player available, receiver from LSU. This new regime has no ties whatsoever to Quentin Johnston. They could cut him if they wanted. Obviously, they're not going to. Left tackle is probably a bigger need. But Neighbors was incredible last year. Any help for Herbert is a good move, in my opinion. Number six is where things get interesting because the Giants guy just got taken, Malik Neighbors. So they're going to trade out of the spot. Uh, the Raiders are coming up for Jaden Daniels. I feel like if they already know that Justin Fields is gone and they're sitting there and there's anyone trying to move out of a top 10 pick, uh, either the Raiders or the Broncos are going to go get somebody. And I know how much you hate the Broncos. I couldn't do that to you. So the Raiders are going to get them. Um, <laughs> they just need to find that perfect trade back partner. It's not necessarily going to be the Giants, but they definitely have the assets to come make a move here. And obviously Malcolm Kuntz and, and dudes on the defense made it so you don't have to take another edge or a D-tackle or a Kool-Aid. You can wait a little bit, maybe free agency. So I hope you're all good with that pick. Yeah, I'm cool with that. <laughs> and obviously that means Antonio Pierce stays too with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, number seven, the Titans uh, very quickly rushing Joe Alt to the podium here, the left tackle from Notre Dame. He's the best available player to kick off the rebuild. It just happens to be a very valuable position, too. Will Levis has already been hurt this year. I think you can wait on receiver. Speaking of receiver, number nine, <laughs> the Bears are going to pair up 
their number one pick, Caleb Williams, with Roma Dunze from Washington. A great contested catch guy for Caleb on those broken plays. I'm sure they're going to have multiple every drive in Chicago like they currently do at Justin Fields. That's just how it goes sometimes. So um, I feel like Adunze is going in the top 10 somewhere. Right now it's uh, it's looking like the Bears are a pretty good fit for him. Number 10, New York Jets. I have them taken to Lise Fuaga, the right tackle from Oregon State. I've heard Brock Bowers could be in play but I don't trust the Jets to find two legit tackles in time for the draft. So they're going to be aggressive in this draft, taking the guys they want. I just don't think the trade-ups will come in the first round since they're missing a second-round pick. They'll go get a receiver in the second round. The Vikings at 11 um, get screwed because no one wanted to trade with them. But I do love Michael Penix Jr. here. Um, Minnesota's a solid squad when they're healthy. We just talked about this yesterday, last night. We both like Minnesota. And they're not going to fall apart if their first-round pick is a red shirt, assuming Kirk is ready week one. I think they could afford to do this. Um, the Broncos, again, this pick doesn't matter, really. I haven't taken Jared Verse, Edge from Florida State. They need to revamp the O-line and the D-line. But I imagine Sean Payton will have some weird infatuation with either Bo Nix or McCarthy and go trade up to, like, pick 25 and get him. But the, the the trenches are important in Denver. They need a rehaul, especially with, uh, you know, how bad they've been talking about the front office, like Garrett Bowles and such, mm-hmm. saying, man, I just want to win. I've never won before. Uh, yeah. Those guys may be leaving. And we'll finish it off with the Giants at 13. I haven't taken J.C. Latham um, from Alabama. They, I know the Giants fans are, are going to hate this. They want that number one receiver. He already got taken, though. I don't know what to say, man. I'm sorry. Um, JC Latham kind of reminds me of Makai Becton where he could probably be better as a guard, even though he's played tackle. And this, this kind of thing happens now. We saw Skaronsky go in the first round last year. We saw Elijah Vera Tucker go, uh, it, it just happens. Guards will go early. now. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, I could go through the rest here, but there's no need. I'll put it on Twitter. If, uh, anyone asked me for it, which usually doesn't happen. But that's cool. It's the whole point here, man. It's draft season. It's exciting. We're going to be talking specifically top ten, but I'm down to go deeper as we get into the off season of the NFL. Yeah, we definitely will have a lot of time for mock drafts. So these next, you know, month or two before we get to baseball season, where it's just kind of a, a lull for us. But yeah, we'll find ways to and fun things to talk about. And one thing that I always find fun to talk about is the MLB moves that we saw within this past week. Uh, we finished off with talking about the moves that occurred on January 2nd, so I'll come back with everything since then. And a fun one right off the bat, Skyler. Woosuk Go goes to the Padres. Uh, Korean reliever who's been, I think he's had 30-plus saves the last three years in the KBO. And now he goes to the Padres, who coincidentally just lost their closer last year. So good on Suck Go to find a good team to Suck Go to. Uh, next up, Kevin Newman, small one, goes to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Nick Ahmed got DFA'd last year. He's not going to play much, but maybe you know finds his way on the Major League roster every now and then. Uh, on January 4th, we got a whole bunch of moves, starting off with Harris, a whole bunch of small moves. But the big one, I would say, was Harrison Bader signing a one-year deal to go to the New York Mets. This is a guy who a lot of fan bases like when he's on their team. Obviously, plays Gold Glove level defense and can provide above offense or above average offense as well. Too, he reunites with the polar bear 
college teammates at Florida. Obviously, we went to the College World Series with that squad. So, a couple of good friends reunite there. We also saw Chris Sale sign a two-year extension with the Atlanta Braves now. I saw him talk about this on a podcast with AJ Przezinski, where he was talking about how his his uh, Boston years he looked at as a failure because he didn't win after he signed his contract, looking to win another ring before he retires and or just gets hurt and I guess also ends up retiring. Uh, and he's got a chance to do that in Atlanta. January fifth was the crazy day that we got a whole bunch of trades starting off. With Richie Palacios going to the Tampa Bay Rays for all-star Andrew Kitteridge going back to the St. Louis Cardinals. Good move for the Cardinals, in my opinion, but the Rays always have things that they know that I have zero clue about. So maybe Kitteridge, oh, he's not her, but maybe his spin rate was down 20% last year or something crazy. You think they have like a Tommy John calculator? Like, all right, in seven more appearances, he's going to be toast. So let's get rid of him. Teams definitely got the Tommy John calculator, man. That's that's not a shocker to me. They have the the seven-year window. I don't know if Kitteridge ever got it or what his Tommy John lifespan is looking like, but maybe he had a little bit of UCL pain last year or Mm -hmm. something like that. We also got two more big trades. Uh, going to the Tampa Bay Rays for Luke Rayleigh. This move is really underrated for both teams. Caballero goes in and practically just takes the shortstop spot in Tampa Bay with Wander Franco doing whatever the fuck in the Dominican Republic. High-speed guy, decent power, kind of sneaky power. Good fielder, solid five-tool player, Jose Caballero. And then Luke Rayleigh, another dude who's honestly ridiculously underrated, has plus speed from a dude that is like 6'4", 250. He's a massive human being, has a ton of power, good power-speed combo, uh, and he goes to the spot in Seattle that needs power and speed with how their, their team's lining up. And then the last big move that we got of the day was Robbie Ray going to the San Francisco Giants for Mitch Hanniger and Anthony Discofani. I like the move a ton for the Mariners. They get back Mitch Hanniger, the offensive outfield spot that they've been needing stuff in, where they don't have to play Dylan Moore in the outfield three days a week. Anthony Discofani is not a massive step down from Robbie Ray. It's not actually much of a step down at all because Robbie Ray didn't play last year. He's coming off of Tommy John, and we don't exactly know what we're going to get from a guy who's either been really good or really bad in his career. Now he goes to SF, has a massive contract. I think San Francisco just did it for the name value, man, and I, I absolutely hate this move for them. I know they, ever since Carlos Rodon left two years ago, they're looking for a guy who can be like that. Robert Ray has the potential to be like that. I just don't think he will be like that in San Francisco. So two good moves for Seattle in my mind as far as trading away a position that you have a lot of depth in to gain. I wouldn't say stardom, but good players in a a position that you don't have a lot of good players at. I like the trades (laughs) where uh, both sides are just getting rid of shit they don't need. It's, yeah, it's pretty and funny. Big leaguer for big leaguer trades yeah. are, are a lot of fun too, where we're not seeing 
crazy uh, prospect hauls or anything like that. Colorado Rockies made a couple moves on the fifth, though. They got Jacob Stallings and Dakota Hudson, so two major leaguers. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You could call them major leaguers, I guess, but two ridiculously terrible players go to the Colorado Rockies, which makes sense. And then Luis Guillorme went to the Atlanta Braves. You already know he's going to do something crazy against the Mets this year. That's just how it goes for them. Uh, the sixth, we didn't really have anything. The only move in the entire MLB was Adam Kolarik getting sent down. How did that happen? Dog, you just got signed and it's literally January. But regardless, the seventh, we got a, a couple of decently big moves. And, and one was Sean Manaya going to the New York Mets. His, Sean Manaya's it's kind of going to be a bit confusing because he kind of dabbled in relief and being a 5-4 starter for the Padres and the Giants these past few years. Obviously, with the A's, he was a lot better than a 4-5 or five starter. So that's what the Mets are hoping to get, it, get out of him uh, considering the money that they spent on him. And then we had Teoscar Hernandez sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is a move trying to replicate the production from J.D. Martinez last year considering that you can't really have J.D. Martinez anywhere because you have to play him in the outfield with Shohei Otani being on your team so Teoscar will probably play the corner outfield which means Mookie likely moves to second full time would be my imagine or be my guess for that I'm not a huge fan of this deal I don't think Teoscar is Really, the best player at this point in his career. He's got a ton of swing and miss, and his power just wasn't there as consistently last year as what I would like it to be. Although the Dodgers do these things where they just get this guy, watch, he's going to strike out 10% next year and hit 35 homers. So I guess I'll say good move for the Dodgers because that's how it always seems to be. And, and then, if he doesn't, you know, he, they could flip him at the deadline with the one year deal. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So the one year deal, 23.5 million there. And the last one that we got was Shoto Amanaga going to the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs finally get their Japanese-born player to pair with Seiya Suzuki. For some reason, I've gotten like eight or nine tweets about this, and nobody seems to know how long this deal is worth or how, how much this deal is worth and how long it's going to go. So 30-year-old goes the Chicago Cubs, I saw somebody comparing his stats to Trevor Bauer uh, in the Yokohama Bay Stars last year because they were teammates. Okay, uh, He had better numbers than Bauer, but Bauer also was not that good once uh, Spider-Tack got removed from the MLB a couple years ago. So I don't think Soto is he or Soto, my bad. Uh, I don't think he's that good. I think he's probably a four or five starter. But with the infatuation over Japanese born players this offseason, he's probably going to get a hundred million dollars, which is crazy because you're just paying miles, miles make a loss that money pretty much at that point. That's what we get to as of today and right now. So a lot of parody now in the MLB, which is weird because the markets are completely different. And of course, all the moves that I, some of my favorite movies off were the trades that we saw on the fifth. And that was the day I was in my car all day driving. So I couldn't really see what was going on, unfortunately. Yeah. But regardless, a lot of moves in the MLB these past few days. Yeah. 
moving on though to our layups and bold predictions before we get on out of here in episode 174. It was a rough week for me and together. We went one for four on our picks. Layups were over two. I had Buffalo and Miami over 49 and a half. Take away those Josh Allen interceptions. They might get there. Obviously, that's a, you know, hindsight 2020 type thing, though. So, bad pick by me. And then Skyler had number two Washington plus four and a half versus the number one Michigan Wolverines. Fortunately, that did not. Fortunately, they forgot how to Sky. tackle. This week, I got the Kansas City money line. Uh, like I said earlier, four point favorites against Miami on Saturday night, if yep. I remember correctly. So I do have the Dallas minus seven and a half, even though this should be a good game. Jordan Love should be okay. Uh, This is just sticking with the trends, man. Dallas tends to blow out the teams with troubles in the secondary, especially in the wild card round. And it's just going to set up a horrible disappointment next round, whether it's against Detroit or the Rams. Next up, in the bull prediction category. Last week, I got my pick right. I'm happy about that. I had Tennessee over Jacksonville. It just felt like a game. Brightpool is going to have the guys ready to go. He did, and then he got fired. So, <laughs> weird situation there, but at least it's green in my book. Together had Houston over Minnesota on Friday in some NBA, and I'm assuming that Minnesota won that one because it's red. It was a close game. Uh, Minnesota ended up losing the next day, though, not against Houston. Uh, this week, uh, bull prediction, obviously probably not going to happen this week specifically as far as everything going down. So it might be a multiple week prediction. Uh, and I, there's no odds on this either because this stuff is kind of random. Yeah. But I have Bill Belichick out as New England Patriots head coach and Mike Vrabel in as the Patriots head coach. So hopefully that comes to fruition over these next few weeks. Well, thanks, Kyle. As a Jets fan, I'm offended by this prediction, but it's, my pick. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's more likely than not to happen, you would expect. I'm going to try to run it back with another NBA game here. I got the Miami Heat to win at home against OKC. Jimmy Butler's out, but the bench has been ridiculous, shooting 50% from three over this past couple of games. So I'm going to say they keep the streak alive here, especially after uh, Spo getting ascended today. Maybe the uh, the vibes are high in Miami tomorrow night. Uh, it's more of a vibes play than a, a an analytical play, especially with OKC involved. What you got to do to win, man. Everybody's <laughs> talking about the, the key to sports betting. It's all about the vibes. Well, we had some great vibes today, Kyle. Lots of stuff to talk about. And it's only going to get better as we move on throughout these playoffs. Yeah, we're going to see coaches get hired. We're also going to see yeah. some crazy upsets maybe in the playoffs. Actually, probably not. That's usually not how things go in the NFL playoffs. But looking forward to a fun week of playoff football, the best weekend of playoff football that there is. Yeah. Well, all right. We'll see you guys next week, next Tuesday night. Yeah. Let's go Warriors. Let's uh, Let's figure out a mini trade to set up the Siakam trade that's going to suck us back in to watching them. Yeah. <laughs> Any closing remarks, Kyle? We'll see you in episode 175. I agree.